Well, good morning and welcome to Portico. If you haven't been welcomed yet, my name is Rick and I'm the campus pastor here. And we're glad that you're joining with us to our series, Get Smart Wisdom for Purposeful Living. We're looking at the book of Proverbs this summer we're in week three of our series. And we're looking at the issue of pride and ego this morning. What are some of the proudest moments of your life? you to think back. The moments that you look back and you just go, man, I was really in the zone then. This is, this is really when I, I, life was full, life was great. This is, these are the stories that you share when you get into a party and you really want to brag and you really want to show off you want, and you want, you want people to like you. I, I, I have one. I've got a picture on my wall and there's a medal and it's not like a first grade science medal. It's when, it's when I, I ran the marathon, the Mississauga Marathon last year, and I trained for like three months, and I was going and going and going, and I had a goal time, and I met, met my goal time, and I got, I got a picture of me holding hope and the medal, and it's sitting on the wall, and I think, man, that's one, one of the proudest moments that I've had doing, doing sports. And then I think about then I think about my school, and I think after, after being out of school for six or seven years, I went back to school and thought, I really want to get my master's degree. So I had to up my, up my theology degree to a th- uh, psychology and theology, and then I had a couple years more to study and a practicum, and I had to put in 5,000 hours, of, or maybe it wasn't 5,000 hours, but it seemed like that at the time. <laughs> I, had to, I, had to do, I had to do hours and hours of practical counseling, then I had to do a thesis, and there was definitely 5,000 edits on a thesis. Anyone ever written a thesis? Like, you know, I, I handed mine in to a couple of, couple of uh, professors that I, I'd known, and they handed it back, and I looked at it and thought, oh, no, <laughs> it's going to take me another month just to edit this thinking thing. And after all those changes, and I finally got it approved and got my master's, that was, that was one of the proudest moments of my life from an educational side of things. I could tell you that my proudest moment as a father was day one of grade one when I knew that I was going to have to be doing Hope's hair every morning. And uh, day one, I had a braid in there, and that sucker stayed in all day long. So when I, when she, when she, yeah, that one's where, yeah, thank you, Lonnie, thank you, Lonnie. When she came home at the end of the day and that sucker was still braided together, that was one of the proudest moments that I've ever had as a father. See, am I impressing you yet? Am I, am, am I saying, uh, yeah, <laughs> actually, there are things in anyone's life that give them reasons to feel proud. And like I said, there are go-to stories when, we, when, we're, when we're at the party, when people are over. We're like, if you've got something hanging on the wall, if you've got a degree hanging on the wall, and there's somebody important that comes to your house, you're like, would you like to go to the kitchen? Let's take the scenic route around to the kitchen. Oh, did you notice that on the wall? Yes, that's right. I did go to, I did go to Yale. Yes, I did do that. Or you've got, you've got different things that, that you like to share when you want to when you want to impress people. We've all got skills and accomplishment. Maybe, maybe we're not on the pride side of things, but they give us a sense of self-worth. On, uh, Andre and I were talking about that earlier, where there's that balance. Is what's self-worth and what's, uh, what's maybe becoming a little prideful, where we've got too much on that side of things. Maybe, maybe some of you are real great cooks, and we've experienced that with our, with, our, with our church lunches and things. We know some of you really know how to make a mean uh, chuck wagon chili, right? right, right? <laughs> there's hot dogs in there. You can't go wrong when there's hot dogs and, and corn and chili. Or, or some, of you, some of you are great writers. Some of you are great mechanics. You have skills that you know give you that sense of self-worth. Well, this morning we're going to take a look at what does the Bible have to say when it comes to the issue of our ego and how we feel. 
Because there are some instances when the Bible does condone pride. I don't know if you know this, but we can throw it on the screen. Romans 15 and 17. It says, because of Christ Jesus, I can take pride in my service for God. And anything that we do in terms of serving the kingdom or using our skills that God has equipped us with, we can have pride in those things. And Paul said he was proud because he was serving God with his gifts and his abilities. Pride's a very natural human emotion that comes up all the time. But the problem is that we know that not every natural human emotion we have is actually good. Many of the, many of the young adults that I'll meet with in this generation struggle with that. They say, if, if I have a feeling, if I have an emotion, it can't be wrong, can it? If I felt that way, it's got to be right. God put it in me, so it's got to be right. And the truth is, no... There are many emotions and many urges we have that aren't right, that aren't good, that aren't from God. They're actually born of our sinful nature. And the Bible doesn't have a lot of good things to say about pride. Proverbs 11.2, this is where we're going to root this morning. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. In fact, if you were to flip through the Proverbs, if you've been reading along day by day, reading one proverb a day corresponding with the date on the calendar, you'll see that there's, there's more than 15 different warnings specifically about becoming proud and having pride. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to juxtapose the, the two feelings of pride and humility, because the proverbs do that quite often. So humility appears to be the opposite of, of pride. So when you face a challenge in your life, What's your go-to response? If you've got something that, that you really have to face tomorrow, this month, this summer, you've got this big challenge, what's your natural instinct? Is it you hunker down and you say, hey, I've got these skill sets, I've got this knowledge, I've got these people that I can call on, and I'm going to make this happen. It doesn't matter how hard it is, how difficult the task is, I can get this done. Is that your, is that your natural response? Or is your natural response to say, Lord, <laughs> You know the challenge that I have. You know what I'm about to face. And I'm really not able to do this unless you equip me or unless you send the right people. So God, help me get out of this. And on the other side, what we're also going to look at is, is the issue of when you have a great success and you have this great skill, do you go, look at me. I can really do this. I, I've got this. I've got this ability. It's unbelievable how well I fostered this ability. This is great. Or do you say... God, I only live and breathe because of you, and I really can only do this because of you. And we're going we're, we're, we're to look at how the Bible deals with those kinds of emotions and those kinds of feeling. Because I know that this is a real struggle in our lives. We know what the right answer is. We know the right answer is always Jesus, right? The kids were just here. It, when, you go to, when you go to the kids' church, the, if they ask any question, the kids just put up their hand, Jesus? <laughs> and all the teachers go, you're right, that's a great answer. And if, if that's all they get in the first four or five years of kids' church is just to answer Jesus first, great. Because, because then at least they're having that first response, and we start to know that. But let's, let's put it into a real-world perspective. What if your team tomorrow morning at work has this group presentation, and there's four or five members of your team, and two or three of them did a real great job, you were one of those because you're a hard worker and you know, you've got, you, you're, just, you're just the best employee and you're definitely going to make that presentation go. But two or three of them didn't really do anything. <laughs> and the boss looks and says, 
wow, your team is amazing. You guys did so well. And what if they're making eye contact with two of the team members that did nothing and they don't even see you, but they're saying, great job, your team did awesome. I'm not saying you don't do anything at work, Gavin. That's not at all what I'm saying. You, I, I do know that you travel. You, you, you seem to go a lot to nice places in the winter. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but what if, what if the boss is looking right at somebody else? I'll avert my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> right at somebody else that didn't do anything, and you've carried most of the load. How do you feel? <laughs> You're angry. <laughs> you don't like that. It's pride. Doesn't the boss deserve to know who pulled the most weight? If the boss really wants to manage this team well, he or she has to know who did most of the work, don't they? It's probably up to you to tell the boss that, just so you know. (laughs) I know you were looking right at so-and-so when you were giving us accolade, but really, they didn't do much. They weren't even here. They were in Arizona for... No, I'm just kidding, Gavin. I'm I'm just kidding. They They weren't even here doing the work. I did it. It's pride. We like being self-sufficient people. We like being people that have the ability to step up, to respond to whatever challenge it is. In the, and, in, and in the heat of the moment, we like to think, if push comes to shove, I could really do this. I could really feel I've got this. But what we want to look at, should we really be feeling that way? Or should we really be feeling, Lord, you've got this, <laughs> regardless of what challenge it is, and I'm just going to trust you with the outcome. Well, we're going to look at uh, the book of Daniel, and if you, if you need a Bible this morning to, to share, uh, just to borrow, you can slip up your hand, and Mark or Manier will make sure that you get a copy of that, and a couple hands over here, guys. And we're going to go to Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to look at the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon, and for, for years and years, historians would look at the Bible, and they, and they would say, We don't even really know um, if the kingdom of Babylon was all that big or who these people were. We we didn't have a lot of great uh, practical evidence that Babylon was all that great of a kingdom. And then all of a sudden when we started to discover, we realized that at certain points in history, especially when Nebuchadnezzar was reigning, it was the world, it was the world power. It was, it's built on the city of modern-day Iraq, and they were, they were at the peak of their power when Nebuchadnezzar came in there. And Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, and they took, all the, they took all the Israelites as slaves, and the people were living in Babylon, in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And we get stories of, of Daniel, and we get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and some great stories of faith there, where, where God empowered these men to, to be able to interpret dreams through Daniel. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember he... They stood their ground for God and they went into the furnace and they came out and they weren't harmed. And, and Nebuchadnezzar said, your God is more powerful than any God I've ever known. And, and he knew God's power. Well, we fast forward a little bit. We're into Daniel chapter 4 now. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And the first part of Daniel chapter 4 talks about the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar sees this giant tree, a tree bigger than he's ever seen. And its roots are strong. And there's all these animals that have made their homes around the tree. And there's beautiful fruit in the tree. And it's the tallest tree that he's ever seen. And then all of a sudden, he hears this voice say, Come and cut it down. And a giant axe comes and knocks that tree. And it falls down. And all the animals that used to gather around the tree run away, and there's just this stump left there. 
And he calls in Daniel and he says, Daniel, can you interpret this dream? You've interpreted dreams before. I've seen how powerful your God is. I know the right answers. I know the right things. So I'm going to call Daniel because that's probably the right thing to do. And Daniel says, yeah, I can interpret your dream for you, king. <laughs> not sure that you're going to like this, but this is, this is what it means. King, you're the tree, and you've got all these people living around you, and the fruits of your kingdom are going to be far spread. And there's nobody else like you, just like there was no one else. There was no other tree like this tree. But you've become proud, and you've given yourself credit, and unless you confess that to God, he's going to cut you down. <laughs> and you're going to be laid down low, and you're just going to be like that stump that you saw. So we pick up the story in verse 29 of Daniel chapter 4. And we're going to read through eight verses here. In Daniel 29, just let me uh, get to my Bible here. Didn't have that one open. We'll get there. Just talk amongst yourselves for a minute. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll be there momentarily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I deserve that. I deserve that. <laughs> I, needed, I, needed a bar, I needed a copy to borrow this morning. Okay. Daniel chapter 4, verse 29. Twelve months later... As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? I don't think he had the warning. <laughs> Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is, what you decree, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass before you. It's going to be seven years. Until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and he ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold him back or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and, and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Isn't that interesting? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And all who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Pretty unbelievable story out of the life of the king there. And I love how we get to the end. And God didn't take away his kingdom forever and say, okay, you're not going to lead anymore. He was obviously a fit leader, obviously a great ruler that God blessed and then re-blessed. But he had to learn the issue of pride versus humility. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So here we go. Pride promotes self, but humility honors others. 
Proverbs 27.2 says this, that let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, an outsider, and not your own lips. It's the basic concept of pride, building up yourself rather than focusing on other people. And if you know Nebuchadnezzar's history, if you know the first three chapters of Daniel, you'll know that this is a guy who could self-promote. Remember, he decided he wanted to build a giant statue of himself in the city center. That kind of gives out a proud vibe. I don't know if, if you're tracking with me there, but if we went to Bob's house tomorrow and there was a giant gold statue of Bob, we would think, well, doesn't Bob think very highly of himself <laughs> that we would have a giant statue? And then he called everyone to come, come and see my statue, and then you can bow down and worship my statue. He had the pride thing going on. I was thinking, there's probably not a lot of good times in life to erect a giant statue of yourself. You're the employee of the week of, at, at McDonald's, golden statue, right out in front of McDonald's. Or next year for Father's Day, just bypass the tie, erect a golden statue in the front yard. Everyone will like that, right? The king has this issue with self-promotion. And listen, we like to hear good things about ourselves. We know that. Humility, C.S. Lewis said it this way, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less about yourself and the skills and gifts that God's given you. It's just thinking about yourself a little bit less often. And we're expected, as Christ followers, to spend more time focusing on the lives of others around us rather than focusing on what we're doing and considering self. When history looks back at this generation, I think the selfie will be the one thing that will like dominate. They'll be the oddities that, that they, when, they, when they examine this generation, they'll say, what on earth was going on? Like, like since the development of photography, we've had like, there's some, or, or even like pictures. We had the group of seven in Canada and they went out into the wild and they, and they painted all the north and we've had wildlife pictures and we've had groups of people. We've had family portraits and right now we've got a bunch of teenagers standing in front of the bathroom mirror going like this or people with their arm out like this going at, at Niagara Falls and they're taking shots like this. The selfie is something that we really like to have. If you go on a person's social media stream or their feed or whatever they're into, you can quickly tell if <laughs> Jeremy's doing it right now. <laughs> He's got all of you in the background. You can quickly tell if people are more focused on themselves or more, f- or more focused on the lives of those around them. Now, don't go on right now and erase all the selfies that you have on there. We're not going to judge you. We know it's interesting right now. But Scripture says there's this real danger in all this self-attention. Nebuchadnezzar was punished pretty harshly. He lost his sanity and he lived in the wild and he lived like an animal because he became too proud. He didn't heed the warning that was given to him very overtly. And we may not lose our sanity, but I want you to think about the kind of person that you can't stand, the person that drives you nuts, the person that you'd rather not be around. Is it the one that dominates conversations telling you about all the amazing things that they did, their latest conquests that worked, their latest achievements, what they've done, always sharing their opinion on everything, even when it's not asked. And the proverb says, let someone else highlight your strengths and let someone else talk about you and you talk about somebody else. Paul pushed a little harder. He said, be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Philippians 2 and 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. A lot of people have criticized people for being selfish. 
But I guarantee you, no one is going to criticize a grandma for showing pictures of their grandchildren around, right? <laughs> no one ever says, oh, that's, that's so self-centered of her, showing the pictures of her kids and her grandkids. Or Nobody criticizes humility. Because we know that the pride, the self-centeredness, that's the issue. But we get caught in that all the time. So that's the basic pride and humility. We know that pride is lifting others up. Humility honors other people. Pride is, is uh, ourself, and humility is honoring other people. But let's, go a little, let's dig a little deeper in the issue. Pride relies on my ability, whereas humility relies on God's provision. There's something satisfying about being able to say we're the self-made individual, isn't there? To be able to say, I did this, I worked for it, I made it happen. To be able to achieve great things on your own makes you feel good. And it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Actually, hard work is a very scriptural concept that we work towards. But the difference is how we believe we actually achieve that and how we get there. You know, do you you know this verse? I can do all things. Some of us don't repeat that part, though. (laughs) Some of us just go, I can do all things. That's right. I can. (laughs) And we forget, no, it's through Christ who strengthens me. We don't even have life or breath without him. Proverbs 26.12 says, Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than there is for the person that thinks they're wise in their own eyes. And we carry around our strengths and our personal achievements like they're medals of honor. Like I said, one of my proudest accomplishments is actually a medal. It's It's a very tangible thing. And we carry them around and we think, Look what I've accomplished. Look, look what I've done. But the word says... We're walking a really dangerous road when we do this. Nebuchadnezzar learned it the hard way. It wasn't his success that was his downfall. That's what we need to catch. God restores the kingdom. He even blesses him even greater at the end when he learns humility. His success and achievements were not even a part of it. The problem was he goes, look at my glory. Look at my kingdom. Look at my majesty. I did this. Pride relied on his own ability. His first instincts were the things that God punished him for. Psalm 10.4 says this, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. I love the way that that translation says that. that even, even as he's thinking, there's just no room for God there. What's the famous line when, a, when an actor or a musician gets up to accept their award? You know, when they're at the Grammys or they're at the or they're at the Oscars, they want to thank their mom, and who else do they want to thank? Beyonce. Beyonce. No. (laughs) They say, I want to thank God who gave me the ability, and I want to thank my mom. Those are are the two things. They know it's the right thing to say. It's like their managers get this concept. If you don't thank God and your mom, you're going to look like a jerk. So get up there and make sure you thank God and your mom. And even though we see that Maybe they don't necessarily believe that. Even, even Hollywood knows a forced thank you to God, giving God the credit, is more important than just saying, hey, I've worked hard and I've done all of this. That's the Hollywood version of how it works. But we're not accepting awards tomorrow. You're managing accounts. You're managing clients. You're making dinner. You're paying mortgage. So the question you ask yourself, is it your skill or is it God who allows you to do that? Are you going to be successful at work tomorrow because you have ability or because God's given you ability? It's a small difference, but it's a giant difference when it comes to the issue of pride and humility. In the end, we we still have that ability to do it. But do we believe that God's giving it to us, or do we believe that we've worked to get there? 
Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. Let's read these words. May you say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands, you may say to yourself, sorry, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce the wealth. We've got to root ourselves remembering that God gives us these abilities. This is a gift offered to us here this morning, if we don't, if we don't recognize this. Are you, are you in need of something this morning? Is there a challenge that you have? There, there's something that you're saying, I've really got to get this done. It's not on us. It's on God. <laughs> now we have to follow through. We have to work hard. We have to continue to live all the biblical principles of, 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 of wise choices and investment time of, and, uh, and wise stewardship. But it's God who gives us the abilities and gives us the opportunity. The pressure releases from us. even thought about this. We think, would we rather force something or would we rather just allow for God's will in our lives? Because a lot of times we'd rather force it and say, I can get this done. I can do this. <laughs> I can make this happen. But if it's going against what God wants for us, I don't even think we want to go there. Let's think about our families and relationships. A successful marriage, we know, we've been talking, we talked about this a few months ago, it's, it's, it's one of the highest priorities in our lives and it's also one of the highest Stress, stressors in our lives. And we'll spend hours every week making sure that we look good physically and we'll go to the, we'll go to the gym or we'll, we'll, we'll go and get our hair done or we'll, we'll do makeup, we'll do manicures, we'll do whatever we need to make sure that we become an attractive partner. We'll read magazine articles, we'll do self-improvement things, we'll do all that. And if this was the right way to a successful marriage, a successful relationship, we would never see a breakup in Hollywood. <laughs> Enough said, right? <laughs> if the way to be successful in life was to put all the effort in by yourself, then it would be the people in Hollywood that would have the least amount of problems. The only fail-safe marriage insur- insurance I know is two people fully submitted to Christ and his leading and modeling his kind of sacrificial love. The power comes when we drop control. Do you need a job? <laughs> is it your ability or is it God? You want to see our kids succeed? I love that we had our kids in this morning. Do we want to see them grow up strong in God and strong in their education? Sometimes I fear that we put more faith in our parenting style than we do turning them over to God every day and just saying, God, it's only by your grace that they'll succeed, that they'll be blessed, that they'll grow. And we need, it's both and, but remember, it's a mindset. Okay, last thing this morning. Is that pride sets me up to fall, and humility positions me to be elevated. The most famous proverb on pride is this, Proverbs sixteen eighteen: Pride goes before destruction. We know that, right? And a haughty spirit before a fall. And I'm going to use very simple science to demonstrate this. If we set ourselves up high, we're positioned to fall, right? When we walk in and we go up here, we can be cut down. And when we make ourselves low, even if we fall, it's not going to hurt. Pride sets me up to be knocked down. Humility positions me to let God lift me up. Nebuchadnezzar's story is obvious. His words were, my mighty power and my kingdom. Even before the words were up, God wanted to show him the fragility of man's power. So off the edge he went. 
James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. When Jesus was teaching about it in Luke 14 and 10, he said, when you're invited to a feast, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place, and then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. So if you're inviting me to a wedding or anything, I'd like to sit at the back, just saying. (laughs) Scripture calls us to remember that no matter what we've achieved, it's God that raises us up. And let's walk in on that lower level and let God lift us up. Who would, what life would we rather have? The life of Mother Teresa or Martha Stewart? Would we rather build a kingdom to be knocked down or would we rather serve at the lowest to let him lift us up? I'm going to invite the team to come back. James 4.10 says this, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I think for most of us, pride can come down to a matter of trust. Do we believe that everything we need, everything we'll have, all of our dreams, all of our hopes for the future, are they safe in God's hands? Or do we need to control it? I think some of the problem we have as believers in this world, in this context, is that we don't need God for tomorrow. Because you're living somewhere, you're eating somewhere, you're existing right now, and we forget sometimes that it's God who's given us all this. So we don't even feel that we need Him. You can talk to, I'm so glad our missions team is home safe. Remember, I was telling you we were picking them up. You need to talk to, to Jess or to Tyler or Jeremy or Amanda. Man, they lived a week knowing that they needed God for the next day. There was a day that they needed food, and God provided food. <laughs> and there was, there was days when they were going to have to hike for eight hours, and they got down and they anointed their, their boots or their wrecked shoes that they were wearing with somebody had some body oil. <laughs> they anointed their shoes with oil and said, Lord, we can't, we can't do an eight-hour hike on a mudslide mountain. But you can. <laughs> and it was if you talk with them, they'll say, you know, The greatest reminder this week was that I need God when I come home. And so this morning what I thought would be appropriate as we we look at the issues of pride and of humility, what's the area of your life right now where you've forgotten you need God? What's the area of your life where you've said, God, I'm doing this on my own, so I'll make it really good and I'll do my best and then I'll present it to you. God says, no, no, no. Remember that I'm the one that allows you to do that. I'm the one that gave you the opportunity. I'm the one that's going to open the right door for you. What's the area of your life right now where you've been relying on self and where you just need to trust God to lift you up, to give you the ability to take the focus off self? And these guys are going to lead us in just a quiet moment of reflection. So I ask you to just close your eyes, get alone with God for a moment. And begin to think and lift that up to him. I don't know what you need to do. Maybe you just want to open your hands and lay them flat and say, Lord, I release that to you. If you want to kneel at your chair or just say, Lord, forgive me. I want to humble myself because I know that you lift up the humble. Just go ahead as they lead us.
Just be 